All right, so not too many today, but we've got a lot of other people, so that's cool. Anyway, we are uh, continuing in our Word series, and um, uh, today we're going to talk about the Word gives light, life. So I'd like you to join me in reading Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. In the name of our Lord. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is God. And as we remembered last week, that he is the word of God. And when Jesus speaks, it is his word, it is who he is. And we thank you for the fact that his word fills us with life. Thank you in your great name. Amen. You know, sometimes we read through the uh, Gospels, and you know there are four of them, and sometimes they have similar, you know, accounts of of the same event, and there are other times when it's just two of them, and then once in a while, like this one, only one of them, and Luke is the only one that has this story, and so, as what I normally do, when did this happen? So I read a bunch of sources and looked through books and, um, and, and the Bible and the other Gospels, and I even read what's called a, um, a chronological Bible, uh, which, by the way, I completely disagreed with the order that they had, so that one wasn't really helpful. Uh, so in any event, but you know how that goes, right? So this actually happened shortly, not real close to, but just a short time after the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, He had gone up onto a mountain, this is going back maybe a week or two, to pray, and he prayed all night. And then he came partway down that mountain the following morning, and that's when he chose the 12 apostles who would walk with him in his ministry, the rest of his ministry, uh, while he was on earth. And then right after that, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And most of that we get out of uh, Matthew. Luke has an account of the same thing. Sometimes we wonder, why are they different? Well, you know, when the Holy Spirit moves and inspires, you know, he also allows people to use their own memory and their own style and things like that. So there are the, the different accounts are not in conflict. They are supplemental. 
So somebody remembers this, somebody remembers something else, or perhaps, like in the case of Luke, Matthew's already done a lot with the Sermon on the Mount, and he just sort of touched the high points of it, which is very common among the writers of that day. Well, after that, he left the mountain, and he started heading for home, healing people along the way, things like that. And then when he got to Capernaum, there was a centurion that would be an officer in the Roman army, not somebody the Jews thought very highly of. And he came to Jesus and said, I've got this servant, and I love this servant, and I need you to heal him because he's dying. And Jesus said, well, I'll go with you. And they got partway there, and, uh, and then the, the, the centurion said, you know what, just say the word and I'll know. And Jesus remarked, I have never seen this kind of faith, not anywhere in Israel. Somebody that wasn't even part of the nation. Someone who had no clue about Judaism other than the fact that he was running a group of soldiers, a hundred of them, in, in that land. And he said, just say the word and I'll know. And it happened. We don't exactly know when he left Capernaum again, but we do know that was his hometown, and he just kind of hung out there from time to time, probably get to, to be refreshed, just kind of rest, go home. You know what it's like going home. Uh, you've been away for a while. I used to uh, travel every week uh, for three to five days, and coming home was just like the most wonderful thing. Uh, and that's, that's probably the way it was for Jesus, too. And then he left, again, another mission, and he headed out for a, a little town called Nain. Uh, and that was 32 miles southwest of Capernaum. Now, people in those days, I understand from reading, uh, I know some of you think I might have been there, but I wasn't. Um, it, uh, you could travel about 20 miles per day. That was the average, so I understand. It was 32 miles, so a better part of two days' travel. And, uh, and then he gets there. I, I do remember in the Boy Scouts uh, hiking 10 miles over flat country, not mountainous country, with a full pack on. And when I got there, I was exhausted. So how would it be two days almost like forced march and then you get there. And yet that was customary for him. And he was on his way to, uh, the, to the city. And he was approaching the gate. Now that word in the Greek means more like he was almost at the gate. He was almost there. I don't know what that meant, but it probably wasn't a mile. It was probably, you know, probably wasn't even 100 yards. It might have been 20 yards or something like that. And he gets there. And then he meets on the way out another procession with a crowd to bury a dead guy. So here's Jesus coming with his 12 disciples, and he's got a whole crowd of other people that were probably following him since the Sermon on the Mount, and they kind of come together. And those, at those times, cities had walls, and there was a gate, which was probably fairly wide, but you weren't going to get those two crossing each other. And then he sees 
the dead guy and his mother and he walks up and he says don't cry that's a tough one don't cry a woman a widow already lost her husband now she's lost her only son don't cry He was a young man, probably between the ages of 12 and 20. In those days, you became a young man, that was a term that they used, at age 12. You know, today the Jews have bar mitzvahs for Jewish boys, and they do something else for Jewish girls at about the same age. And you were officially, in those days, a young man. You begin to take over man-sized responsibilities in the family business and things like that. Imagine about doing that kind of thing with 12-year-olds today. It might have been a stretch. Uh, somebody is, a mother is actually smiling at me and nodding her head. <laughs> so, and then at 20 years old, that was the age at which uh, men could serve in the uh, army. And then you became a real man. And, um, you know, we have other definitions for real men today, but, uh, you know, this is kind of the setting. Here's a man, young man, maybe a teenager. He's just died. And then it says Jesus had compassion. You know, compassion is one of those strange words in the New Testament. It always is what's called a passive verb. Compassion is always coming on us, into us, from the outside. So it's pretty easy for me to understand that when it comes to me, you know, that I don't know that I am naturally compassionate. But fortunately, I have a Lord and a wife who help me with that sometimes. And it comes from the outside in. It's spiritual. It's divine. It's something beyond the natural me. How that worked with Jesus, I don't know. Maybe there just wasn't a word in that language to talk about what Jesus' compassion was because he's the giver of all compassion. But there it was. He was compassioned for this mother. Do not weep. Don't cry. Think back when you were kids, right? You're crying about something, sometimes not something that was all that meaningless, sometimes not meaningful, and then there are other times when it was really, you know, something really big. And then there's always got to be somebody, yeah, don't cry. That was big for my dad. Don't cry. Real men don't cry. Well, that was long before I was 12 or even 20. And, um, but you see, Jesus had something really big in mind. He was going to do something in less than a moment that was going to turn her mourning into tears of joy. He touched the buyer. Now, a buyer, they didn't use coffins in those days. 
they wrapped dead bodies uh, with uh, cloth and spices and ointments and things like that, and then they put them on a stretcher, and then they carried them out of, out of town on the stretcher, and they, they, they didn't dig holes in the ground to bury them. They carved out openings in um, rock and made a cave. And then they had this round disc of a stone that kind of went down a little track and then fell into it and made a perfect seal. I mean, it took a long time to build a tomb. And that's how it was. But here's the thing. Jesus went up and touched the buyer. In those days, in the days of uh, the Jewish law, they, that, that would have made him unclean for seven days. And that's like a curse. Um, there was a fairly involved ritual that one had to do in order to do that. If you touched a dead body, if you touched uh, anything that that dead body had come in contact with, if you walked into the house where he died, you became unclean for seven days. So all the men that were carrying this buyer, probably his mom, anybody that had cared for the body, they were all unclean. And in those days, you went way out of your way to avoid that. So I wanted you to just imagine for a moment, here's this funeral procession, and they're walking out of the gate, and they're assuming they have right of way, because everybody's going to divide up, nobody wants to be there, nobody wants to touch the buyer, or anybody else that has touched it, because then I'm unclean, and there's a ritual for seven days. Nobody really wants to waste the time on that. But then Jesus said, arise, arise. Again, that's a passive verb. It means be raised. There is a force outside of that young man that raised him, and it was the power of Jesus' word. The word himself is giving the word to this young man so that he will rise from the dead. It's not like he is strengthened by that word. He is risen from the dead by that word. It is a remarkable thing, a wonderful thing. The word gives life. And then Jesus, from the language here, it appears to me that he picked this young man up off of that stretcher and walked over and put him down right in front of his mom. And mom is not crying for loss anymore. Tears of joy, probably. And fear seized them. Imagine, nothing like this has ever happened in your memory. You haven't even heard stories about it. Maybe some of the things in the Old Testament might come to mind. But there it is, right in front of your eyes. And there's a whole crowd of witnesses, two crowds. One that came from Capernaum and the other one that's coming outside the city. And here is this dead guy sitting up on the stretcher and talking. And Jesus picks him up and gives him back to his mom. What a magnificent gift of God's word, arise.
and they glorified God. They glorified God, saying two things, and there were probably other things too, but maybe these were the most prominent. The first one was that um, a prophet has arisen among us. And most of us kind of remember that there were three offices in Israel, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, Messiah, was, of course, all of those. And here's the one they saw that day. A prophet, like the prophets of old, who did miracles, things that can't be explained anywhere. A prophet has risen in evil. And God has visited his people. Wow. They had been waiting over 400 years. For the moment when God would come, when God would arrive. The Son of God had come to town. He gave his word and raised a man from the dead. I can remember two other occasions. This is the first of the three. Just a little bit later on in the book of Luke, we have uh, Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and he comes because his daughter is dying. And uh, while he's on his way there to, uh, to save the daughter, uh, somebody from his house comes and says, well, don't bother him anymore because she's gone. But he said, do not worry, only believe. And he went and spoke to this girl. Little girl, arise. It happened for her too. And then some years later, it happened with Lazarus. And we all know the story about that. Lazarus, come out! I, heard, I read one comment a long time ago that said if he had just said come out, everybody in the tombs would have come out. Now, I don't know if that's... That might be a little fanciful. But, uh, but you know, the fact is he was very specific. He did it by name. The first one was young man, the next one little girl, and then by name. And when God is speaking your name, and he's saying arise, he isn't just saying arise from physical death into physical life again. He is saying arise into eternal life. And I want to read those words again from, that, or from John chapter 5, if I can find them here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed in, from death into life. Whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your word, and through your word, you have given us life. I don't think any of us have been physically dead and then come back to life, but I do know that there are a whole lot of us here, and maybe even all of us, who were spiritually dead because we were dead, buried in, I mean, born in our sins. And we lived that way until your word came into us and gave us not just physical life, but eternal life, that we might live with you forever. Blessed God.
Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are the Son. You are the Word. And you give yourself to us every time we read it or hear it. And it has life for us. Thank you in your name. Amen. You know, I know I've put people to sleep before, but that one, uh, maybe not. Two weeks away.